Today's the day. Thought about it a lot last night. Today's the day. Tell you what we're talking about coming up here in a moment. Welcome to the program, the Bill Michaels Show. On the air, 877-867-1670. The logistics to get a hold of us. 877-867-1670. You can always track us down on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. Uh, Highly recommend you subscribe to YouTube. It's absolutely free, so what the heck, no harm, no foul there. Uh, find us on Twitch TV. You can email us, thebillmichaels at gmail.com. Ben Kenny is also on Twitter at, at Ben Z. Kenny. Ben, so I was kind of listening towards the end of the morning show. You No air conditioning? No air conditioning, Bill. It is a complete disaster in the Kenny household. Oh, my God. So, And it's not because, now, for people that are just listening on the network, it's not because you refuse to turn it on, Correct. No, the building, and I can go find the email again, but I got an email yesterday around 1 o'clock that politely said, uh, F you, all the residents, we have chosen to not turn the AC on until May 19th. (laughs) Which is a preposterous statement. Who does that? What what, what landowner does that? All of the scumbag Madison landlords. That, what, what, you know, come on, man. That's ridiculous. When you're talking, what's the difference of 88 and humid today versus 88 and humid in two weeks? Other than just them saving money. Well, the difference is I'll be able to sleep in two weeks when there's air conditioning. Are you allowed to put a window unit in? I believe so, but it was nothing I had thought of. And I'm moving out of this place in a couple weeks. So oh, okay. It, well, then, yeah, to hell with it. It didn't cross my mind, but suddenly it's 90 degrees and it's 87 in the apartment. Yeah, I came home Yeah, because I yesterday during the show, for those that were listening, I just I couldn't bring myself to turn the air conditioning on. And I thought there's just, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to wait. It's going to cool down overnight. And it never did. I got home yesterday. Um, I got home last evening. I left, uh, you know, the windows kind of open because we were expecting all that. Remember, we were getting... The whole state was under a tornado watch, and there was these severe thunderstorms predicted. Nothing happened. I mean, nothing. And I get it. Meteorologically, it was this this cap stayed on top of the area. The warm warm air didn't allow the cold air to mix, and therefore it didn't matriculate into the storms that everybody expected. Uh, but uh, I expected the the rain to come, so I didn't want to leave my house wide open. When I left, I, I went to uh, uh, up to Grafton yesterday, and there was a spring concert. Kristen's son had a spring concert yesterday, so I went to that. I got home last night. In my bedroom was 86 degrees, and it was humid. I mean, it was – now, the the, the bo- bottom portion of my, of my house and the bar and such are all below ground, so they stay like a constant 69, 70. It's great. But upstairs got warm and uh, real warm. So I finally had, I mean, last night about 9.30, there I am. I'm opening all the vents, you know, in the house and dropping down the air conditioning, you know, vents in the ceiling and such. And so I, I finally had to turn it on and thank God that I did. I'm one of those people that need to sleep cold. So I set it at about 67 when I go to bed and I set it at about 70 for the rest of the day. So, and it's, it's I don't know if you can hear it in the background. This is the first time I'm really doing the show with the vents wide open, but uh, you can hear a little bit, I guess. But yeah, I had to finally turn the air conditioning I had, to, I had to succumb because it was it was toasty and it was humid you know we get some humidity you know when i and i'm sure in philly did you get a lot of humidity as a kid during the summer yeah because we would get it in that ohio river valley 
which was I love it. I I can I can deal with it. I, no big deal. Uh, the hotter the better. The the sweaty. You know, it's the kind of it's the kind of humidity when you walk out of the air conditioning. Uh, if you have glasses on, your glasses just poof, fog up. Condensation immediately. You know that type of it, that kind of humidity. And um, so I don't mind it. But when you try to sleep, humidity is an awful thing because you always feel wet and sticky, and you never get cool and uh, even a fan on you doesn't really make that big of a difference. So anyway, um, can confirm. Yeah, so it was uh, it was probably not not the best of of situations. Apparently, there was a small tornado in Colfax uh, yesterday. Uh, some tree damage uh, to a golf course there in that area. Um, so you know, glad it that's all it did as far as damage goes. But as far as the mass outbreak of thunderstorms, because the whole state, for the most part, was under a severe thunderstorm watch, or a tornado watch, I should say. And uh, and it just never materialized. Never happened. So anyway, which is good. Uh, glad we didn't get severe weather, but I, that's what everybody was kind of expecting. So today, the same thing. But today, speaking of hot, Bucks need to get hot. I've thought about it and thought about it and thought about it. This is a must-win for the Milwaukee Bucks. Would you agree? Ben, do you agree this is a must-win? I mean, yes, but with the, the caveat that a Game 5 in any basketball series I would consider a must-win. But for this team and where they're at now and what we saw in Game 4, definitely. If they're up three games to one, it's not – if they're down three games to one, it is. But sitting at two and two, 70% of basketball teams in the NBA that sit with a 2-2 tie going into game five, the winner goes on to win the series. This is a must win. It's a must win for two reasons. One, you then take home court advantage back. Two, um, you have got to reestablish yourself. The rest of the world is picking against you. You have got to reestablish yourself. Since game one, the Bucks have been outscored in the fourth quarter 28 points. You, 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 you're not going to win that way. Now, granted, I understand it's because they've had leads going into, and the Bucks have only, prior to the postseason, when leading after three quarters, the Bucks have lost one game when leading after three quarters, all season long. One game until the other night. One time all season. So even that feeling of invincibility is gone. You can't, No lead is too big for a team that can shoot to three and get hot the way the 76ers can. And we talked about this coming into the series. That this team, when they're on, they can shoot with anybody. Shoot with anybody. Tonight is as big a must win as the Bucks have had for a while now. You know, going all the way back to last postseason, I guess, would be the best way to put it. Being down 0-2 in a series and, and coming back and getting a win. Uh, this is a huge must win tonight for the Bucks. Get home court advantage back. Come back. Try to slay this dragon at home and end it. Bucks lose tonight. Uh, you and I both said it yesterday. After watching that game on Monday night, we kind of had the gut feeling that this is going to be the 76ers year. Um, if I had to put money on it, I would put money on the Sixers. To win the series, the Celtics. My heart says, or the uh, the the, Celt, uh, the Celtics. Yes, I'm sorry. Seventy no, Sixers aren't winning the series. No, yes. they were killed last night. <laughs> we don't need to talk yeah, about no, that. The Seventy Sixers. As a matter of fact, the reason I think I thought of that is the Seventy Sixers. Uh, there's some highlights going on with the Seventy Sixers game last night right in front of me. 
uh, or low lights if you uh, are looking at it from your perspective. Quite low. But but uh, it, I tonight is as big a must win. You got to slay that dragon that is the Boston Celtics. We we knew they could get hot and they could shoot. They're proving it now. And the 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 Bucks positively absolutely have to get the win tonight. I've I've just kind of come to that conclusion. So we'll see if they can actually do it. We'll talk about it a lot coming up today. We're going to get the Boston perspective at some point, and uh, we'll talk a lot. Last night, you had the good and the bad of the Milwaukee Brewers, too. And do the Brewers have a pitching question? And I know that's a crazy statement, but uh, I don't think it's that far out of the realm of possibility. So we'll get into that. Uh, and then the announcement, we because they're trickling it out for tomorrow night. Tomorrow night is the official unveiling of, of everyone's schedule in the NFL. And game by game, it starts to trickle out. And then we find out today, lo and behold, Mike McCarthy and the Dallas Cowboys are coming into Lambeau Field. How about that? Mike McCarthy, the Dallas Cowboys, coming into Lambeau Field. Mike coming home, and uh, we'll see what kind of a reception the Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers give him. But, yeah, the uh, Dallas Cowboys announced today, that they are coming to Lambeau Field in conjunction with uh, the Green Bay Packers. So all of that going on. But uh, tonight, uh, I think we're all hunkered down. While we all want to watch, you know, baseball in the afternoon and such and watch the Brewers, hopefully the Brewers get that, that the rubber game today as they lost the first game of this series, get back-to-back wins against Cincinnati and get the hell out of town. Uh, in Cincinnati, I give them credit. They just kept banging away yesterday. But uh, the, the Buc- or the Brewers ultimately got the win. But the Bucks game tonight, I think, is the big – the big key for everybody, it's must-see TV. Being as warm as it is, being as warm as it is, uh, I think uh, tonight is an outside cigar, TV on kind of night. Tiki bar kind of night tonight. So uh, we might even uh, find ourselves in the midst of a uh, live stream before it's all said and done. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, by the way, a complicated fella says, did you know Mike McCarthy is a Super Bowl winning coach? He'll tell you that. Let's just state the facts. I mean, I'm a highly successful NFL head coach. There you go. Let's just state that fact. Highly successful. Winning percentage-wise, he is. You can't argue with that. Can't argue with that. There is, you know, and I know people make fun of Mike, but there is something to be said about setting up an organization around what it is you do and having wins and success. Now, championship success has eluded him. But for the most part, when you talk about wins and losses and winning percentage, he is. When can you think of the last head coach that made himself, won a championship, continued to win, albeit fail when it came to championships, but continued to win and has had as much you know, uh, you know, fun poked at him and he continues to win. Who who else has the, the last guy I can remember getting this kind of grief would be Barry Switzer, but we all know Barry Switzer won with with you know the uh, the the complement of players that Jimmy Johnson put together. But the last coach that was a winner that had a winning percentage that I can remember, I I that that has had this kind of fun made of him. I, I can't remember. It, it completely escaped. Now, we've known a lot of coaches who stunk, 
who had fun made of them at their expense. But I cannot remember the last winning head coach that has had this kind of been a target where people just flat out make fun of the guy. Does John Gruden apply? Does John Gruden have a winning percentage? Have a, is he on the winning side or is he on the losing side? One seventeen. Because we know John Gruden. John, well, John Gruden. Here's the thing: John Gruden's championship came with Tony Dungy's players, right? He took over because Tony Dungy didn't get it done in Tampa Bay. John Gruden took over the next year. They won a championship. It was basically Tony Dungy's team. And John Gruden ended up facing his old team. At that point in time, was it the Oakland Raiders or the L.A. Raiders? I can't remember where the hell they were at. But he faced the Raiders in the Super Bowl. And John Gruden, uh, I wonder what John Gruden would have been in Las Vegas had he not had the emails exposed. I wonder what he would have ended up. So I, I that, that's a good point. But John Gruden, John Gruden making more fun of him has come from his stint in the in the Monday Night Broadcast booth with Mike Tirico than it was necessarily as a head coach for bad decisions, bad play calling, bad, bad you know just clock management, bad everything. Whereas McCarthy gets ripped for offense he gets ripped for defense he gets ripped for clock management he gets ripped for his looks he gets ripped he gets ripped all he's done is he's been a head coach that's it and he's had success what is McCarthy's winning percentage do you have that in front of you Ben no pull it up okay let me know what McCarthy's winning percentage is because all the guy's done is win he did not win a championship in Green Bay after the 2010 602 that I can 602 that's pretty high for a guy that people continuously rip. Down down the stretch towards the end, yeah, he he uh, it was time to go, and I I don't necessarily like firing coaches because of the ineptitude of players, and he clearly had a clash with Aaron Rodgers, and Aaron Rodgers kind of drove him out of town, so we understand that. Uh, and it was probably a year too long, and I, I admit that. But as far as being a bad, uninformed head coach, I, I the guy wins. He kind of gives me Andy Reid vibes, but the Super Bowls were won on the other side of their success, with Reid getting his recently and McCarthy right. getting his at the beginning. Right. But this is one of those prove-it years for Mike, too, and I, I, I can't believe I'm saying that with a successful coach, but uh, it is because we know all the different things that are waiting in the wings, and we know, you see, going back to owner versus Packers, Packers have this board, and as long as you're winning and you're making them money and things are trending in the right direction, you have a job. But when things look as if they're not trending in the right direction and you don't have the ability to get that team over the next hump, just via your own ability, that's when things become tenuous in Green Bay. Whereas in Dallas, it, whatever side of the bed Jerry wakes up on, if Jerry wakes up and says, "No, nope, we got to make a change," I, I'm just I'm, I'm hell bent on making a change. We're making a change, then that's it. One dude changes things. The emotions of an owner can change things. Whereas the Green Bay Packers kind of stay steady like a rock, steady like a, an iceberg, moving slowly and methodically. 
Uh, Jerry can just wake up one day and say, nope, that's not it. I'm going to go with somebody else. There's somebody else I like, somebody I ran into, somebody a fan told me about, whatever. Whatever Jerry's emotions are that day, he can go. So I still think this is one of those years with Sean Payton sitting and waiting in the wings, and there's been a lot of talk about that. I, I think this is that year that Mike McCarthy specifically is – I can't. it's hard to believe, but he's on the hot seat. Got a lot to prove down in Dallas. A lot to prove down in Dallas, even with the loss of Amari Cooper. One of the better weapons for Dak Prescott. But And also you want to see if Dak Prescott takes another step forward under the tutelage of Mike McCarthy. But let's be honest. Mike McCarthy, as a head coach, going through these, quote, quarterback camps, these this quarterback school, the Mike McCarthy, McCarthy guru school, Aaron Rodgers turned out. Who else did? Who else turned out? Brian Brom, any of these guys that... You know, Seneca Wallace, any of these guys they brought in? Any of these guys they drafted? No, they really didn't. They didn't turn out. He he got Aaron Rodgers given to him, and then he inherited Dak Prescott. Can Dak Prescott now take the next step? So anyway, uh, the Packers are going to be hosting the Cowboys. Let's do this. We're going to step away. Take a quick break. we got a lot more of the Bill Michaels Show. Is this a must-win tonight for your Milwaukee Bucks? Stay tuned. Coming up right after this. Ready? This is the Bill Michaels Show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Welcome one, welcome all. Bill Michaels Show. Back on the air. Packers make the announcement that uh, that they are indeed going to be hosting uh, Mike McCarthy. Mike McCarthy and the Dallas Cowboys. And um, I'm, which to be honest with you, I'm looking forward to. Mike McCarthy and the Dallas Cowboys are coming into Lambeau Field, and. Um, you know, we know that, uh, you know, Mike is going to be all amped up for that one. Packers are going to be amped up for more so Packers fans than anything, but it'll be the reunion of Mike McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers. In the meantime, does Aaron Rodgers have enough weaponry around him? Mark Schofield, the NFL Wire, joining us uh, over on the hotline. Mark, how you doing today, man? I'm doing well, Bill. Great to be back with you. Excited to chat a little draft. I know it's been a while. Yeah, it's uh, so. Give me first of all. Let's get get your impressions of just what you thought of the Green Bay Packers side of the draft. You know, I, I I actually really liked it. I know going into the draft, I know a couple of times when I was on with you, certainly after the Devontae Adams trade and then Green Bay having those two picks in the first round, there were many expectations that they would draft a wide receiver with one of those two selections. And I think the way they went about it, going defense, defense with those first two picks and then addressing receiver at the top of the second round. I think it speaks to the talent on the defensive side of the ball and the depth of the wide receiver position because wide receiver did look like one of the deeper position groups in this draft class. And rather than, say, reaching a little bit earlier on one of those guys, they were able to add two very talented defenders uh, from that Georgia defense and Quay Walker and Devontae Wyatt, two guys I think are great fits for what they want to do defensively. And then at the top of the second round, get Christian Watson, who I think very talented wide receiver. There's a lot of potential there. Certainly needs a little bit of growth and development, but uh, I think he can be a very nice offensive weapon out of the gate. He can certainly help in the return game as well. So I really like the fit for Washington with the Green Bay Packers. And then 
when you sort of get later down into the draft, you look at the, the offensive lineman from UCLA, Sean Ryan. A lot of people thought that, look, he might sort of sneak into, you know, second round, maybe into the first round, perhaps. There were a lot of people that when they watched Carson Strong, the Nevada quarterback who ended up undrafted, they came away really impressed with Romeo Dubs. And then the pass rusher from South Carolina, Kim Lang Mare, he got some first round buds going, you know, out, out of the sort of football season and into the start of the draft season. So to get him where they did, I think was great value. So, in the end, I can't. I think this was a very good draft for the Packers. I like a lot of the players that they added. I like the way they went about it. You know, they didn't force that receiver pick instead of getting great value in those two Georgia defenders. And I think it was really just a good draft cycle for the Packers. When uh, the Packers bolstered their defense, I think we all thought, okay, now they've got the depth not only for defense but for special teams, which we all know was a bugaboo last year for them. Do you feel that this team has gotten better in that depth department? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I think a lot of these selections, you know, particularly Watson too, it's a nod to that, you know, bugaboo on special teams. We saw that sort of rear its head in the playoffs with that loss to the San Francisco 49ers. Special teams was an issue for the Packers all last year. And I think you look at the athleticism of Quay Walker, you look at the athleticism of Watson, you know, Dubs and some of these other guys, they could certainly contribute on special teams and help to improve that area because it was a flaw for the Packers last year. And I think that, you know, the draft picks that they made and the athleticism that they added is a nod to that. And so, you know, even if Quay Walker is not a starter or a, you know, down-to-down, every-down linebacker in week one, he's somebody you're going to see on special teams. And I think that goes for Watson and some of the other players that they added. And so I think depth was also an issue they needed to address along with special teams, and they accomplished that with this draft class. The uh, the Packers obviously with Aaron Rodgers need weaponry. Do you feel? I feel that this team is going to make another move before it's all said and done. I think they're going to go out and find one of these guys like a Jarvis Landry. Somebody's going to say, you know what? I'll take a little bit less money to go get a legitimate shot at one winning a championship, two at having a, a this quality quarterback throw me the football, which in essence would then up my value because my statistics would naturally go up. Do you think the Packers are going to make a move, one more move before it's all said and done? You know, I, I think absolutely, you know, and what we're seeing right now is the sort of free agency market has kind of, you know, petered out a little bit. You know, now we're going to get into the, the time of year where players either, you know, wait to see if there are injuries that happen during camps, players wait to see if, you know, there's other movement that's happening, and you're going to see the veterans sort of become more attractive to teams, and conversely, teams become more attractive to veterans. And when you mentioned Jarvis Landry, Julio Jones is another veteran that's still out there. You know, I haven't seen any news on the Odell Beckham Jr. front, another player that's still out there. You know, T.Y. Hilton, for example, another receiver that's still out there. There are still receiving options that are available right now. And like you said, when it gets to be, you know, late July, early August, when training camps start to really be on the horizon, these players that haven't had that sort of type of success in the playoffs or haven't had the chance to play in a Super Bowl are going to look around the landscape and realize that, you know, the Green Bay Packers are a favorable destination because, one, you have Aaron Rodgers, which we have seen over the course of the NFL, particularly the past, you know, 10, 15 years. The opportunity to play with an elite talent at the quarterback position is a draw, not just for receivers, but free agents overall, because it gives you that chance to play into the playoffs. You look around uh, the sort of team landscapes, right? You look yeah. at the NFC. If, you, if you're a player that's sort of going after a ring, do you want to go to the AFC, which looks to be loaded? Or do you want to go to the NFC where it's like, yeah, you know, the Bucks could be good, the Rams could be good, the Packers could be good. That's a lot of question marks. If you're a veteran that wants to win that ring, your odds 
at going to and one of these NFC teams probably would have better than going to the AFC where you've got maybe seven, eight, nine, ten teams that look like they could make a run out of that conference. So I, I, the whole thing to me, and I thought one of the things that the Packers did address was the fact that their offensive line was get looking at least appearance-wise. I know that you still have Elton Jenkins and, and David Bakhtiari, and you go through that whole list, but no Elton Jenkins coming back from the knee injury just yet. David Bakhtiari didn't play a snap last year, really. I mean, he just didn't look right and uh, wasn't good for the season because of that knee, and they didn't sound overly confident. That, oh, yeah, he's 100%. He's ready to go. So do you think they did the right thing in picking up some additional offensive line depth? How do you think they did there? I think they did a really good job with it. You know, I, I mentioned the UCLA kid, Sean Ryan. Uh, Zach Tom was another player, you know, the tackle from Wake Forest that, you know, when you got into that sort of day two or the day three range, a lot of people were excited about where he might come off the board. And there were some people that thought even higher of him, thought that he would probably get into, you know, maybe even late second round, early third. So to get him where they did at 140 overall, I thought was a very good pick. And then I'm not going to, I'm not going to sleep on Rasheed Walker, the, the Penn State tackle where they got 249 overall. You know, you see some of the plays that he made, some of the ways he moves on the field, the athleticism, the footwork. He checked a lot of boxes when I studied him in terms of what you want to see from an NFL tackle. And so, you know, we know in this day and age, right, you you have to throw the football, but you need a good offensive line to do that. You need depth to do that when players go down. You just went through sort of some of the issues that the Packers had from an injury standpoint along the offensive line. And I thought the players they added throughout the draft process to address some of these needs were very good additions. I like what the Packers have done overall. I think the only Achilles heel right now that everybody seems to want to talk about is the weaponry. Now, here's my question. How much better can Aaron Rodgers make? Let's say they don't do anything. How much better can Aaron Rodgers make the weapons that he has? They still have Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. They still have the, the returning Robert Tunyon and Dominic Daphne and Mercedes Lewis, and they still have the returning wide receiving core. Is this a Super Bowl-caliber team now, or do you think they are only a piece or two away? I mean, whenever you have 12, whenever you have guys like Brady and Rodgers and an elite quarterback, you put yourself into that mix to begin with because those are the players that, because of their experience, because of the way they can throw, throw the football, because of, you know, not just the velocity, but the placement, the ability to throw against leverage that Aaron Rodgers has at his disposal, he's going to make the players around him better. It's sort of that, if you think about the exercise that people go through every offseason of tiering quarterbacks, that elite tier, those guys that are the proverbial quarterbacks that make everybody around them better. And Rodgers is still at this point in his career firmly in that tier. Now, that being said, you could always have more weapons. You could always have more pass catchers because just like with the offensive line depth, you know, receiving depth is also an issue. You get a couple of guys dinged up and then suddenly, you know, you're looking at a receiving core that instead of, say, Watson and Lazard and Cobb and Watkins, now you're looking at, you know, Romeo Dubs and Amari Rogers sort of being your one-two in a worst-case scenario. So I still think another piece would be beneficial for this team. As constructed right now, if everybody's healthy, yes, this is a team that can come out of the NFC. But things happen in the football season. You know, over a 17-game schedule, guys are going to get banged up. So adding another piece will certainly help. I like what the Packers have done. I feel good about it. I think this year is really going to become incumbent upon, uh, to me anyway, Matt LaFleur, Aaron Rodgers, figuring out ways to get guys open. Also, a lot. Wouldn't you assume there's going to be a lot of, say, play action, movement? I'm not going to say it's necessarily the ride and the side offense because that's not what Aaron Rodgers does. But putting guys in motion and making this thing work and being on spot. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, Bill, that's a part of sort of any effective offense, regardless of how good your quarterback is. It's 
no, everything you can do as an offensive coordinator or play designer, play caller, to give that quarterback information before the snap is always going to be beneficial. I mean, I, I talk a lot about that decision-making window for a quarterback. And while in most cases it's really snap to throw, if you can expand that decision-making window, given that quarterback information pre-snap, whether it's movement, motion, shift, and even personnel, to let that quarterback know, okay, I'm not 100% positive it's this coverage, but because of the shift and the movement of the personnel, I can be pretty sure. And so if it does play out that way, I know exactly where to go to the fo- with the football. Whether you're a, a first-year player or a second-year player or guys in their 15th, 20th, 21st season, that will help you the more you can expand that decision-making window. And so I would imagine that Coach LaFleur is going to find some ways to sort of expand that, particularly as we're seeing on the defensive side of the ball. Defenses have gotten so much better, Bill, at trying to disguise what they're doing. You know, the typical, you know, pre-snap cue was, oh, you send somebody in motion, a receiver trails them, oh, it's going to be man coverage. But defenses have found ways to adjust zone coverages on the fly. So you see that as a quarterback, you see that motion man being trailed and you think oh yeah it's man coverage but they drop in the zone and now you've got to recalibrate your mind and your way of thinking and so the more ways you can respond to what defenses are doing pre-snap with personnel and movement and shifts and things like that the bigger that decision making window will be for the quarterback and the better the quarterback's eventual execution will be talking with mark schofield nfl wire getting at mark schofield over on twitter so the rest of we'll say well let's start with the division first you got the Vikings. How much better do the Vikings get? And now, granted, they've got a coaching change. So do the Bears. The Lions are trying to bolster themselves, not necessarily for this year, but for years down the road. So tell me right now about the Vikings, who seem to be the, the second best team in the division. Yeah, and look, they certainly had a need that they identified going into this draft cycle that they had to get better in the secondary. And I, I do like not just losing the, the safety they drafted at the end of the first round when they traded sort of out of their pick inside the top 15. A lot of people said, look, they're going to stay pat at 12 and, and draft the best cornerback available. They said, no, 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 we'll trade out. You know, they slide back to 32. And then they get Andrew Booth, the Clemson corner at 42. And I thought, you know, that was a very good pick because I thought Booth was somebody who was going to come off the board inside the top 15 or so. Now, I know injuries might have played a role there. Um, and that probably is why he slid out to – 42 overall, but I do think that was a nice, very nice pick for them. You know, I'm a fan of Brian Asamoah, the linebacker from Oklahoma. You know, he's a bit more undersized. You know, years past, he'd probably be more of a safety in the NFL, but as we've gotten, you know, smaller on the defensive side of the ball and even on the defensive front, we've seen linebackers come into the league that are built more like safeties, but he's got that sideline to sideline ability and, you know, some of it's a lot of different stuff in the Big 12 that it's working its way into the NFL. And so I think. He was a very nice pick as well. And so I like some of the pieces that they added. I mean, with Minnesota, really, as we all know, it's going to come down to do they have enough offensively? Can they generate explosive plays on the offensive side of the ball? Are we going to see, you know, the best of Kirk Cousins or are there going to be issues there? What do we see from the receivers as well? And so, you know, they have some issues that they'll have to figure out on the offensive side of the ball. You know, they might even have to slide Ed Ingram, who they drafted in the second round from LSU, into, you know, their starting right guard spot. We'll see how that plays out in camp. But, you know, they added some pieces. They addressed needs on the defensive side of the ball. So I think it was a, a solid draft. Um, but certainly, like you said, when you look around the rest of the division, you know, you look at the Packers, and they certainly work right now to be the team to beat in the NFC North. I was going to ask you as well, when you, I, I agree with the Packers, but, you know, the Bears have brought in new coaching. They've tried to bolster the offensive line. They, they, without Allen Robinson, they're trying to do something with Justin Fields. They bring in Luke Getze from Green Bay. 
uh, to kind of be his tutor, so to speak, for the offensive side of the football. How far away are the Bears from being relevant? Because that defense, I it was really in its heyday a few years back, and it seems to be just deteriorating before our very eyes. It does seem like, Bill, that Chicago's not just in a rebuild. It's like a tear-down and rebuild. Like they've, they've torn this thing down to the studs, and they're working their way back from that. And a lot of the conversation right now with respect to what they've done this offseason is certainly focused on the offensive side of the ball and the weapons and do they have enough around Justin Fields to get him where he needs to be. And, you know, Valise Jones Jr., the, the receiver that drafted in the third round, he's a nice little prospect, but on the older side, I think he just turned 25. Um, you've got some guys that have been in the league. I think Justin Jefferson's been in the league now for three years, and he's not even close to 25 yet. So, you know, that's going to be something to watch. Darnell Moody is a nice receiver. We know Aquamania St. Brown. But, you know, there are some questions around the receiver position with respect to what the Bears have done this offseason. As you mentioned, the offensive line was a big question mark. And I'm, not, I'm surprised that, you know, they addressed it with a fifth-round pick, Braxton Jones. But, you know, I, I would have thought they would have addressed that a little bit earlier in the draft. And then you look at the defense. Obviously, they trade away Khalil Mack. They added two nice players, Jaquan Brisker and Kyler Gordon. Uh, Brisker, the safety from Penn State, Gordon, the corner from Washington, who I think are very nice players. And still have Roquan Smith, who's a very nice linebacker. But this does look like a team that's two years away, maybe. I mean, maybe we're seeing it wrong. Maybe Ryan Paulus has identified the right players for what they want to do, and they're going to be in a much better position than we expect. You know, But sitting here right now at the start of May, Bill, I'm rather skeptical about what they've done so far. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Mark, it's always a pleasure, man. I appreciate all the insight and information. Hey, hey real quick, best team right now in the NFC, give, me, give it to me. I mean, I'm always of the mind that, you know, when you're the champs, you get the right to stay atop the mantle for now. So we'll say the Rams, but I do think, look, sitting there right now, the Rams, the Packers, the Bucks, those are the three teams that I'm most confident in the NFC. We give the nod to the Rams because they got the belt right now, but then the games kick off in September, we'll really get a chance to see it. Good stuff. Mark, appreciate it as always, pal. We'll talk to you soon, okay? Sounds great, Bill. Thanks so much. There you go, Mark Schofield, NFL Wire. You can find him over at Mark Schofield over on Twitter, at Mark Schofield over on Twitter. He has a lot of good things to say about the Green Bay Packers and thinking about their draft big time. So good stuff. Like that. Like that. Uh, 877-867-1670, Uh Really like some of the picks that they made, especially a guy like uh, Sean Ryan. Also, uh, Zach Tom, adding depth to the offensive line. Really likes Quay Walker and uh, what the Packers added right there. So, seems like the Packers picked up good guys. You just hope that they continue to solidify that team. And in addition to that, the guys that uh, are backing them up then become uh, solid players when it comes to uh, the special teams because God knows they need it. Stay tuned. we got a lot more of the Bill Michaels Show coming up. This portion of the program brought to you by our friends over there at Sunset Grill. If you're going out tonight, stop by, watch the sunset on Pewaukee Lake, sit out on the uh, on the patio area, and uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy. Watch that Bucks game. They have TVs all over the place. I've always said, go in and ask Trish, who runs the place, say, Trish, do you still have the leather pants? Do you still have them? Leather pants, yes or no? But they got really good food, really good beverages, and it's that beachy kind of lake cottage season. So stop over to uh, uh, Sunset Grill over on Pewaukee Lake and tell them we said hi. More of the Bill Michael Show coming up. Covering Wisconsin sports like a blanket, this is the Bill Michael Show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. The Bill Michael Show Podcast. Listen, rate, subscribe.